0: In my office, there's a sign above the door that my wife made me a few years back, and it says, Post Tenebros Lux. It's a Latin phrase, it means after darkness light. This was a rally cry of the 16th century Protestant Reformation, a time of spiritual darkness, and the Christian reformers they contended for it, and they fought. And successfully, they unveiled, they uneclipsed, and they rediscovered the light of the gospel. And while they rejoiced at that time to see really the world's largest revival that has ever taken place since the days of Christ, they celebrated, but they also had a concern. They, They had a fear that one day, the cry of the people... Would no longer be post tenebros lux, after darkness light, but rather the flip of that post lux tenebros, after light darkness. In church, I think it's safe to say that that day has dawned. The day of tenebros, the day of darkness. And although we typically wake up to a sunny Southern California, I think we are all too familiar that we live in the hour of darkness. And so, like the reformers, we must once again uneclipse and rediscover the light of the gospel. And just to be clear, friends, The light of the gospel is not just go out there and be a good person. Amen? The light of the gospel is Jesus. And therefore, we must come to Christ, and we must look at Jesus again and again and again until we see him shining brilliantly. But not that we would just stare at him, but that we would follow him. John chapter 8 verse 12, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In 2008 I had an opportunity to live in Israel for a few months. And while I was there, the um, the Jews, they celebrated Sukkot, or the Feast of Booths. You might have heard of it as the Feast of Tabernacles. This wasn't anything new. You might remember from Leviticus chapter 23 that God actually commands His people to celebrate this festival. God actually tells Israel, You shall dwell in booths for seven days, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt... And so here we see that God has commanded his people to put on a week-long celebration that they will remember God's faithful provisions and promises, but specifically remember that Yahweh saves his people. And he tells them to do this by camping out for a week. Just to be clear, church, this is not a biblical text for us to have a church-wide annual camping trip. Amen? Even if it's to places with biblical names like Zion. (laughs) It's an inside joke. But rather, the Feast of Booths was to remember when God led his people out of that dark, harsh 430 years of slavery in Egypt. And here in John chapter 8, there have been thousands of people gathering at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. And one of the things they did at this festival is they would get four young boys, and these four boys would climb these four massive pillars, and at the top of these, these four pillars were four bowls filled with flammable oil, and these boys would light these pillars on fire. Why did they do this? just to teach us that boys get the campfires going? No. Let me remind you of how God led his people out of those 430 years of darkness. Exodus chapter 13. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and listen, church, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. In other words, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, as is written in your Bibles. This is Yahweh, this is the never-ending, self-existing, covenant-keeping, great I am. The one who promised Moses in Exodus chapter three that he would redeem his people from slavery. This is the one that then shows up in Exodus chapter 13 to do exactly that, to be a pillar of fire, to be a light for his people, not a light to be stared at, but a light to be followed out of the darkness and onward to the promised land. And it's in this context of John chapter 8, we see Jesus stand on the Temple Mount. The Feast of Booths is going on. Four massive pillars of fire raging behind him. And it's in this strategic context that Jesus proclaims, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D, as it's written in the name. He is Yahweh, the never-ending, self-existing, covenant-keeping, great I am. The one who promised Moses in Exodus chapter 3 from a bush on fire that he would redeem his people from the slavery of Egypt, he's the one that then shows up in Exodus chapter 13 to do exactly that. No longer a bush on fire, but a pillar of fire. To be a light. To guide his people. And now we see here in John chapter 8. That Jesus is standing and proclaiming that I am that pillar of fire. I am the light of the world here to guide my people through a greater exodus. A greater redemption. One that is from a deeper and darker depravity of sin. He is the light of the world. And notice church, look at the verse, verse 12. Notice Jesus says... I am the light. He didn't say I am a light. He didn't say I'm kind of like a light flickering in the darkness. No, he is the light. The one and the only light. And a light just for the Jews? No, look again. He's the light of the world. The Jews, the Gentiles, every tribe, every tongue. He's the light of the cosmos, the only one. And church, take note. He is not a light to be stared at. He's a light to be followed. Amen? Amen. there's two reasons this morning that I want to show us why He is the light that we should follow. you are taking notes. Number one, that Jesus is the light that guides us redemption from our sins. Look at the verse again. John chapter 8 verse 12. I am the light of the world and whoever follows me would not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Church, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it's a military term. It means to follow line, To obey the orders and the directions of another. But not just anybody Person with authority. And the phrase, whoever follows me, it literally could read to the one who follows. And this is good news, church. You see, because Jesus did come to redeem and ransom a people to God. Revelation chapter 5, amen? But here in John chapter 8, it's as though Jesus is looking at the individual. And so regardless if you're a Jew, a Gentile, regardless if you're black, or white, or tall, or short, or conservative, or Democrat, or Russian, or Ukrainian, regardless if you're inner-city hipster, or JPG, <laughs> Jesus is now looking, not just for a certain people group to follow him, but he's looking at each and every one of us this morning dead in the eye, urgently pleading with you to follow him. Look at the verse again. Notice that Jesus does not say whoever follows a logical conclusion, a moralistic worldview. He says whoever follows mm-hmm. if you would turn over in your Bible to John chapter 20. Again, church, if we're going to follow Jesus, we better know exactly who He is. John chapter 20, 50 verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in his book. But these are written so that you may, what does it say? Believe. You may believe that Jesus is, say, church, the Christ. And not only the Christ, but Jesus is the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in His name. Church, this is what it means to follow after Jesus Christ, that we would believe in Jesus. But not that we would just believe in Jesus, that we would believe in the right of Jesus, Amen. You know? And here in John chapter 20, John has labored so hard to show us what Christ has done in his life. Miracle after miracle after miracle, all showing one thing, that he is the Christ, that he is the anointed Savior, that he is the long-awaiting Messiah, that Jews have been waiting for. Furthermore, he is the King of kings, he's the Lord of lords, but also, he's the Son of God. No, this is not the biological, but the theological Son of God, the heir over all things, the preeminent one, the one who has all supremacy. In a word, Jesus is God. And I say amen? For the Lord. <laughs> okay. Therefore, Saints, we must fall in line. We must fall in line, we must follow this Jesus. The Jesus that we find in the scriptures. And we must believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have a light in His name. Back to John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of the light. Church, what does it mean to walk in darkness? Look at verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. You guys know who the Pharisees are, right? These are the religious elite. These are the ones who, who knew and memorized their Old Testament law. These were the ones that were to be a guide to the blind, and yet here they themselves are blind. Literally, their Messiah is standing right in front of them And they don't recognize him. And so instead of believing and falling after him, they willfully reject his words to be true, and so they call him a liar, and thus urging them more and more to want to put him to death. Why? Look at he's pushing. Jesus answers them he says even if i do bear witness about myself my testimony is true for i know where i came from and where i am going but listen church you do not know where i come from or where i'm going you see they refused to believe in jesus because they did not know him and let me be clear church it's not because there was a lack of evidence Remember, many other things Jesus did that were not written in this book, John chapter 20. But these were written so that you would believe. You see, in in the face of absolute truth, when Christ had made it as clear as day who he is, they still decide that they want to reject and refuse his words to be true. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, these guys know exactly what that meant. They remember Exodus chapter three. They remember Exodus chapter thirteen, how God led His people out of slavery. He is the light to be followed. And here we see these men don't want to fall after Jesus because Jesus was not the Messiah that they were hoping for. He's not the Messiah that they want. He's not the Messiah that's going to come and just satisfy all their worldly desires. And so they rejected him. not because of a lack of evidence, but because they chose to suppress the truth from each other. And so they chose to enslave themselves in a willful, unbelief, because he didn't know God. Look at verse 19. We know neither me nor my father? Mr. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So friends, this is their indictment. They don't know God. They should look like did, right? The Pharisees. These were the guys that gave up all of all their time and money and resources, tied their above and beyond. These were the guys that if, if training center would have been something offered to them in the Old Testament, they would have been at the top of their class. But how does our Lord Jesus describe them? They are whitewashed tombs. He didn't know God. Noah Pearson Thomas Watson said that he might not be outwardly bad and yet not be able to do it. Does that describe you? Not outwardly bad. And so perhaps maybe you just go on in your life justifying your sin because you're not that outwardly bad. This is what it looks like to walk in darkness. You might not be outwardly bad, but church, we are all not in what we You might remember, Yanni Salcedo taught us a few weeks back in Psalm chapter 14, verse 1. You guys know the verse, right? It's the way of the foolishness. The fool says in his heart, no God for me. And when the rally cry of the people is no God for me, we get a godless culture. You see the problem of this world, my friends, is not secularism. The problem of this world is not post-modernism. Or post postmodernism, I think, this is more appropriate. The problem in this world is not ideologies, or wars, or pandemics. The problem in this world is not political unrest, nor is it human trafficking, or gender and marriage confusion, or social injustices, or famine, or destructive addictions, or gross entertainment, or rampant sexual immorality. The problem in this world is not the normalization of killing babies. The problem in this world is not that children are left as fatherless orphans. The problem of this world is not that people are becoming more and more hostile towards the Christian faith, nor is the problem of this world that people didn't revolt the way you did. Amen? The problem of this world is that men love the darkness rather than the light. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their words are evil. And Christ takes a step further and says we are enslaved to the darkness of our sin, Totally depraved, and judgment awaits our moments. Look at verse 21. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Question, church. Where is Jesus going? You already know. That's right. He's going to die. He's going to rise again. He's going to ascend. He's going back. To Father, and there He will be seated at the right hand of the throne of God in the place where there is no darkness, the place where the presence of sin does not exist. And then He says, for all who die in that state of willfully rejecting the truth of who Jesus is and never following Him, you will never be allowed to go to that place where He is going. Look at verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Facts, right? Can it get any more clear? Church, what does Jesus mean when he says you will die in your sins? Is he talking about a physical death, or spiritual death? And you guys have really good questions. The answer, we can probably say on the count of three. Is one, two, three. Maria. Both. Yes. Amen. Nobody's wrong. Good job. You will die in your sins. You see, my friends, there's there's gonna come a day when all of us will physically die. It's, it's the only guarantee we've got in this life. And on that day, if you have lived your life rejecting Jesus Christ, willfully walking in darkness, on that day when you physically die, things are going to go from bad to worse. Although you will not follow Jesus to the place he is going, there is another place that we will go. The same author, John, reminds us of what that place is in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, he says that this is the place reserved for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Why? Because Romans 6:23 is very clear. The wages of sin is death. This is what we deserve. Period. And the worst part of the second death is not the excruciating pain. That we suffer forever. It's not that you will be in utter darkness for all eternity. The worst part of the second death is that you will never, ever, ever have another opportunity to repent of the darkness of your sins and follow Jesus Christ the light of world. Look again at the end of verse 21. Where I am going cannot come. It's the terrifying truth, church. And if you go on living and chanting, know God for me, then that's exactly what you will get for all eternity. No God. I get it, church. This is not a hearing tickling message. Nor is it a wise tactic to grow our church membership. Well <laughs> so perhaps you're sitting there thinking, good church. I came to church to talk about love, I can't, I can't think of anything more loving than to warn you of that second death. Charles Spurgeon, a very famous quote that you might already know, says, If sinners be damned, at least let them bleed to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees imploring them to stay. And hell must be filled. Let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go unwarned for and unprayed for. Church, as I sat up here this morning, as you are reading, I prayed for you. And now this morning, let the word of God be the warning for you. to stop dining in darkness. Stop entertaining evil. Stop walking in the way of wickedness, Psalm chapter 1. But repent and believe and follow Jesus Christ, for he is the light of the world. And he is the only one that can provide redemption for our sins. And for us. I get it, church. This is the bad news. But the good news, which I know you all can waiting for good news is that God so loved the world, that He gave us the light of life. Look again at John chapter 8 verse 4. Again, Jesus spoke, saying, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. But, this is the good news, my friend. insert the good news of the gospel. But, you will have the light of life. This is the very good news that we are no longer doomed to just wander around and grove around in the shackles and shadows of our sin. This is the good news that Isaiah prophesied. In chapter 9, he says, the people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Because the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is that great light that Isaiah prophesied about. To redeem us from that deep, deep land of darkness that we dwell in. And just as we learned a few weeks ago, a lamp is not meant to be put under a basket, right? But rather, a light is meant to be lifted up and exalted. So, too, we must see Jesus Christ lifted up and exalted. Yes, he's going to be lifted up and exalted at his resurrection, which we're going to celebrate in the coming weeks. And yes, he will be lifted up and exalted when he ascends and takes his seat at the right hand of the glory of God. But first, he must be lifted up on the cross to die. Look at verse 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, Then you will know. See, my friends, the cross is not arbitrary. The cross is necessary. If we wish to have redemption from our sins, if we wish to have a belief in Jesus Christ, if we desire to come to a saving knowledge of the redemptive cross work that Jesus did, we must study the cross. Why? Because this is the only path for redemption. This is the exclusive part of the gospel. There's no other way for man to be redeemed. No amount of good works, no religiosity, nor any other mediator stands between a holy God and sinful man other than Jesus Christ. You guys know the verse. Let's say it out loud together. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the truth. Maybe you don't know it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Exclusive redemption. Only by the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing that we can do to save and redeem ourselves from the darkness of our sins we were just like those those Chilean miners. You guys remember that story? When they were stuck for 69 days under like the hardest rock on earth. And not just like 2 feet under, but 2,040 feet under. Trapped in a dark, cold, hopeless pit. Thinking that their only option left was to die. And if there is any hope for them to be saved, somebody must come down and rescue them church, the good news is that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Amen? We must understand this truth. That in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God said let there be light in those men. And three chapters later, the darkness of our sin the fall of man. And yet on man's darkest day, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God promised us us with hope he promises that there will someday be a seed that crushes the head of that serpent the devil and from Genesis chapter 315 to Matthew chapter 1:16, God has been faithfully preserving that seed Jesus Christ and that he would come and be born of a virgin that he would grow in perfect obedience to be the better Adam, to be a better prophet, a better priest, and a better king. That he would be a greater light to lead his people out of a greater darkness, through a greater exodus, onward to a greater promised land. And he did all of this by obediently going to the cross. Philippians chapter 2 reminds us that he humbled himself. And he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. we was saved by the obedient works of Jesus Christ that led him to climb up on that tree. And in Philippians chapter 2 verse 9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name. And so church, we see that Jesus will be exalted in glory. But first he must be exalted on the cross. Why? Because for Christ, the road to glory is the via dolorosa. It's the road of pain. It's the road of suffering. It's the road of being rejected and despised. It's the road of being flogged and mocked and beaten and beaten and beaten. It's the road that led him to Calvary's Hill, where his spear is put in his side, his thorns crushed on his head, nails through his wrist and through his feet. It's the road that causes the Son of Man to be lifted up on a cross, left there to die. And on the cross for three hours, Christ sheds his blood, his holy sacrificial. Pure and perfect blood. He paints the cross crimson. And darkness covers the earth while he hangs there to die. Not metaphorically, literally. You've read the account. Why? Because the light of life is dying. Because he's become the curse that we are saying about earlier this morning cast out into utter darkness. Why? Because Isaiah 53 reminds us that God the Father laid on Jesus Christ, the light of life, the iniquity of us all. Our darkness imputed to him. And so he stands there, hanging, absorbing the full judgment, drinking every last ounce of that cup of wrath his father and he does this for you, for me, this is how much our God loves you. This is the good news of the gospel, my friends. that the light of the world stepped down into darkness and climbed up upon that tree and died. Colossians chapter 1 says the reason why God allowed us to happen to His Son is so that God would deliver us, listen, deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us, there's the good news, into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, there's our Lord, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Church, that's why we must follow Jesus. We don't follow Jesus just so that we can have a better life now. We don't follow Jesus just so that we would have less marriage conflict. Or that we would be a little bit more patient with our kids. We don't follow Jesus just so we can try to do less outwardly bad things. We follow Jesus... Because He is the only one that can guide us to the redemption that we desperately need. A redemption that frees us from the slavery of our sins. A redemption that delivers us from the penalty of sin. And someday a redemption that will cause us to follow the light of life and deliver us from the presence of sin. Amen. And therefore, church, we must study the cross again and again and again. Why look at verse 30? Until we believe in Jesus. Until we place our faith in that great Redeemer. And not just that we believe in Him, but look at verse 31, that we would abide in the words of our Lord and Savior. And we would obediently follow what the light of life has left us in His Word. Why? Look at verse 32 and 34. That we would come to a knowledge of this redemptive truth of the cross work of Jesus Christ that sets us free from the slavery of our sins. We must study the cross, church. What do we do on those days when sin is luring us back in? To shackle ourselves to its enticing chains of lust and pride and possessions. And anxiety and depression and overwhelming fears what do we do on that day we preach the truth to ourselves the truth we get verse 36 that we are no longer a slave to our sins because if the Son sets you free you will be free indeed hallelujah amen praise the Lord this is the truth and this is why we must study the cross over and over and over again this is why we sing songs and praise the Lord. One of which says, Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He the theme of heaven's praises, rogue and frail humanity. In our longing and our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ, who condescended, and took on flesh to ransom us. We must follow Jesus, for He is the light that guides us to redemption. And point number two, I know what you're thinking, are you serious? Point number two, You've been going for 40 minutes, dude. Yeah. Point number two, we must follow Jesus because he is the light that guides us to reconciliation with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the very next verse, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. In other words, church, we must study the cross again and again and again, looking at the Son of Man lifted up, because not only does he provide redemption, but on the cross he provides us with reconciliation to God. Not that we would just no longer be at war with God. Not that we would just simply have peace with God, though that is absolutely true, and the definition of of reconciliation. But further that we would be reconciled to God and know him as a father. How many of you have seen the movie The Cruits? The Cruits? Go ahead and raise your hand, it's okay? Um, we're in the church. In the Cruits, specifically in the Cruise number two, there's a king boy. His name is Thunk. You guys know Thunk? Thunk! He is... Following around, another gentleman, another caveman, his name is Mr. Phil Betterman, and Mr. Phil Betterman starts to give Thunk some pretty cool stuff, a home, food, even a caveman TV, aka a window, and at one point Thunk calls Mr. Phil Betterman, Mr. Phil Better Dan. Church, I think deep down inside we're all kind of like Thunk searching for at least a better day. I was fortunate to grow up with a good father, so much that he didn't go to his own church today because he just wanted to come watch his boy preach. The father who protected and provided for my siblings and my mother the a good father. For church, I've come to know you over the past seven years or so. I'm aware of the fact that not all of you grew up with a good father. Presently, not all of you have it. Some of you have fathers who don't know Jesus. Some of you have fathers who never wanted to hang out with you. Never spent time teaching you anything. Some of you have fathers who abused you in multiple different ways. Some of you have fathers who left you the moment you were born because they didn't want the responsibility to take care of you. Some of you have fathers who have died. And I hurt for you, church. I pray for you. And as I look around this room this morning, I'm so thankful that I'm looking at many men who are good fathers. We need to do a better job, church, at encouraging these men. Praising God for these men. Wives, give your husbands a word of encouragement today that he's a good father. And even as I look around at many men who are good fathers, church, these men, or myself, are a perfect father. And that's exactly who we need. We need a perfect father. And that's exactly who Jesus guides us to. Look at John chapter 8, verses 42 through 47. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you will love me. For I came from God and I am here. I come not on my own accord, but He sent me. Verse 43. Why do you not know, excuse me, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of the Father, the devil. And your will is to do your Father's desires. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. But the reason you do not hear them is because you are not a God. In other words, God is not your father. Church, do you know God as your father? Honestly? If so, then you would agree that there's no greater truth than this. There's no greater comfort on those dark, dark days That we have all experienced. Those days when you get those crushing phone calls. Those days where you receive a terrible diagnosis. Those days where fear just grips you. Those days where your spouse dies. Those days where your mother and your father died. Those days, as we're suffering right now with this church. Those days when family members experience the death of their baby. On those dark days, is it not good news that God is our Father? Let me remind you of the Father that God is. He's the faithful, omnipresent Father who tells us in Deuteronomy 31 to be strong and to be courageous, to not fear. Why? Because God, your Father, goes with you. And He would never leave you or forsake you like other fathers do, like the devil does. That's why you've never met Him. He is the one who is the protective, omnipotent Father. Psalm 68 reminds us he's the father of the fatherless and he's the protector of the widows. He's the never changing, omnibenevolent father, as James reminds us that every good gift comes down from, every good and every perfect gift comes down from the father of lights, not the father of darkness, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He will always be omnibenevolent. He will always be good. Because he's immutable. He's the never changing God. Always good. He's the eternal omniscient father. as Jeremiah reminds us. Before I formed you in the womb, our father says, I knew you. Those days when people just don't understand what I'm going through. You don't know what's in my heart. You can't empathize with my depression and my anxiety and my fears. Church, be comforted. God knows you. He is the loving Father who has lavished upon us the gracious gift of redemption and reconciliation and adoption that we would know Him as eternal sons and daughters. This is who our God is. He is a good Father. Therefore, church, let's follow Jesus. Let's follow Jesus, the light of the world, that we would be reconciled to God. And if these things are true for you, if you've looked upon the cross where the Son of Man has been lifted up, have come to a saving knowledge and a belief, and now you have followed after Jesus Christ. And that you have now been provided by Him both redemption and reconciliation. The question for us is, what do we do? Where do we go from here? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and we will end here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The question is, what must we do if these things are true for us? We must walk in the light, amen? Amen. We must walk in the light. Last week, Will Smith said he wanted to walk in the light and be a light in the world, and so he slapped Chris Roth in the face. <laughs> I know you all heard about it—the slap her around the world. Is that what there is future? Look at Second Corinthians four. This is what we do. Verse 4, and in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them, listen church, look at the words in your your Bibles, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5, this is what it looks like to now walk in the light, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, our Sins, who said, let light, sh- let light shine out of darkness and show in our hearts to give the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. This is what we do friends. We be the church. We be that city set upon a hill. We shine brightly as the lumps in Tentecross, as the light in darkness. And we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not only do we just proclaim it, that we first believe it and we abide in it. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And starting with ourselves, we urge everyone, everyone to repent and to believe and to follow Jesus Christ because He is the only light of the world. He's the light that guides us to redemption from the slavery of our sins and He is the light that guides us to reconciliation with the perfect Father. And although we don't see Jesus Christ visibly right now, He continues to guide us by the authority of His Word, Amen? And you know the verse, Psalm 119, 105. Your Word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. And for all who follow the authoritative words of our Christ, Jesus, the promise for you then is that you will have the light of the life. I hope that's true for you, church. That's all we want. That you would know the light of life. And if so, may the rowdy cry of our church be post-tenebrous Christ. For Jesus alone is the light of the gospel. Amen. Let's pray.